Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Now, the big miracle would be if I get my slides on time and right. I've spent a lot of time with John Wesley because I really love him. I, I, even back when I was in the early 20s, John Wesley really impressed me. I couldn't, so I read his diary. I read everything about him. And a very disciplined man. And, and you guys have the privilege of learning a lot about him. Now, if you guys want copies of my slideshow, I've got, I've got four on each page. To save uh, pages, we could probably do it up and we could put front and back or something like that. <laughs> so we'll try that. Okay, Daniel told me, don't touch this thing. <laughs> All right, I see play. <laughs> Or can I hit play now? Okay. Now, wait a minute now. I touched it. That's <laughs> Okay, there it is. That's the first one right there. I can't read my own writing, so I'm going to look at the board. Okay, his education, he received a, a, a sound classical education at Charter House, which we don't know much about, Christ Church, and remained, and all, and remained all his life, very much a scholar and a gentleman. Now John Wesley was not not loud. How how do you speak to twenty thousand people? I do not know, but he was not. He didn't speak loudly. He just spoke common. Uh, very didn't have to raise his voice. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, so I'll see if I can get this thing to work. All right. All right, he was small. Now this this kind of he was five foot six, one hundred twenty two pounds. Yet muscular and strong. He died at eighty seven, and uh, at eighty seven he was full of energy, and able to do his eyesight was still the same, and uh, he died at eighty seven years old. Okay, theologically, a saint. His father was a priest. And a noble, devout woman. Now, Susanna Wesley, has anybody here ever heard of her? 19 kids she had. And John Wesley and Charles Wesley, who wrote many of the hymns we sing, uh, or Char they sang, <laughs> we don't sing them anymore. But we, uh, Charles Wesley wrote the songs. So he went with uh, many times, uh, most of his life. Wesley, from his early days, regarded religion as his business. So with a father who was a priest, he was always an Anglican, never was anything else. Now, what's the Anglican church in America? The Episcopal. Me and Dave know all about that. <laughs> we, I went to the Episcopal church for 10 years. And uh, so John Wesley was Episcopal. Okay, let me see if I did this right. Okay. England in Wesley's days. Now, I, I'm going to read a lot of these because it has a lot of meaning that I wrote on here, and I want you guys to get as much as you can tonight. So the England described in his journal is an England full of theology, all kinds of queer folk abound. <laughs> now, we use that word differently now. <laughs> Strange subjects are discussed in odd places. There was drunkenness, cockfighting, no doubt. But there were also deists, mystics, Swedenborgans, 
and antinomians, necessitarians and anti-Baptist Quakers. Now, Jan, I gave, she has a history of the, of the Amish, Amish. What's anti-Baptist mean? Anabaptist. Anabaptist, okay. What's that mean? Why do they call them that? They were against infant back baptism. And, and the basis of the Amish comes from Anabaptist, right? So the Amish church today came into being back in the old time, 1700s. All right, the clergy, after a good deal of hard searching, heart searching, and theological talk with his mother, Wesley was ordained a bishop and elected into the fellow of the prestigious Bishop of Oxford. His father was impressed that he had also a fellow in the Lincoln. This was a big deal. Fellow of Lincoln. <laughs> now, this is all prior to being filled with the Spirit. John Wesley was really a disciplined man. His mother, with all, I don't know how many kids died, but I think about eight kids died. Nineteen kids and eight, eight of them died. So she would take about, like if she had 11 left, <laughs> she would take one half hour with each child at night. So they were very rigid, disciplined. And when Susanna wanted to pray, she would pull her apron over her head and everybody knew, stay away from mama. <laughs> so she had her quiet time that way. She would, uh, she would put it over her head and when she did that, don't mess with her. Okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about deist and what a deist is, belief. We have this today, belief in the existence of a supreme being, specifically a creator that does not intervene in the universe. That's what a deist is. So if you want to know what a deist is, that's what they are. Mystic is a person, let's see if I'm mystic, yeah, is a person who seeks by contemplation and self-surrender, obtain a unity or, the, or absorption into the deity of the absolute. It's a bunch of, bunch of garbage. <laughs> so, but they're mystics. I, uh, I went, to, uh, went to Charlotte to see this guy at Charlotte. Uh, what's his name? The preacher in Charlotte? Yeah, Ch Chabda. Yeah, but, and he, he said he didn't like the mystics of India when they came to his house. His house was uh, well thought of. They, his home was... Uh, part of the uh, Brahmin class, and, and in G India, they were the leadership, leadership cl class, the ones that had the most money, and these mystics would come and stay with them. He said, I was never impressed with mystics. He said, uh, and then the next one is Swe oh, Swedenborgians, <laughs> the doctrines and the belief and the practice of the Church of New Jerusalem, founded by Emanuel Swedenborg, in the late 18th century. 18th century is 1700 and something. Especially in the ascertain that Christ is God himself and the Son of God. And it... Oh, get my glasses on. I do better when my glasses on, but I don't use them. Assertion that Christ is God himself and not the Son of God and the reliance upon accounts of mystical experiences, appearances of Christ. And so this is the 
people that uh, came under his, 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 uh, his uh, reading. John Wesley's motive. You must find companions or make them. That was it. He felt like if you go out, if you go to the prison, make companions. Teach them about God, and they would be companions to him. That's, that's the way he believed. Now, he met some mobs. <laughs> mobs are unruly uh, people. Wesley was occasionally hustled and once or twice pelted with mud and stones. I was uh, reading one part where Wesley went into town, and they knew he was coming. They took three, two to three-pound rocks and threw them at Wesley's buggy. Uh, nobody was hit. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He said, he said, had I been hit, it would have stopped my message. <laughs> there it didn't. All right, John Knox is a famous uh, preacher. He was, and this is what he says about Wesley. He was a terribly exciting preacher, quiet though his manner was. He pushed matters home without flinching. He made people cry. Yeah, he cried out and fell down. Nor did it surprise him that they should. This is the way he believed. Wesley's marriage. Now, this is where Wesley messed up. <laughs> Had he married Grace Murray, he would have escaped the matrimony disaster that overtook him when he married Mrs. Vazil, a wealthy widow of a London merchant. She took papers of his and letters from his desk changed the wording in his, in his letters and put them in the hands of his enemies or had them published in the newspaper. That's his wife. Now look what I put in, in, in Wesley's letter to his new wife shows the utmost tenderness and affection such as few female hearts could have withstood. So even though she was talking bad about him and, 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 and creating his, she drove 100 miles on a horse one time or rode a horse 100 miles to see if he was messing with the women. She was really jealous. <laughs> but, yeah, she was a bad dude. So finally she, she divorced Wesley. and So he was the man once married and divorced. Okay. When, before he left America to America, he had a journal. Did I not change it? I did change it. <laughs> I'm, I'm more, a little better than I was last time. So, <laughs> The first entry in his journal was that how he established the Holy Club. We don't have one like that here. Upon encouragement, we continued to meet together as usual and to confirm one another as well as we could in our resolutions to communicate as often as we had the opportunity, which we're here where they met once a week. And do not and do what service we could to the to our acquaintance, to the prisoners and two or three poor poor families in town. Okay, now he's feeling so holy. He wants to go. He wants to uh, save the heathens, the Indians of America. So he learns German on the ship. He was very dedicated. Now let me show you what happened. This is what John John Wesley did every day. He wasn't full of the Holy Spirit. He was just very, very, very disciplined. And let me read you what he went through. Four to five in the morning, and he had prayer. Five to seven, read the Bible together. At seven, he ate breakfast. At eight o'clock, he had public prayer. At nine to 12, he learned German and Greek, neither of which is easy. Does anybody here know Greek? 
I don't. It's Greek to me. <laughs> so, that's supposed to be funny. Huh? <laughs> All they met to give an account of what they had done at 12 o'clock. At 1 o'clock, they ate. At 2 to 4, he met with those each had taken charge of. Now, he, they must have gone aboard the ship, found out who wasn't a Christian, and they were the ones they were supposed to take charge of. Isn't that something? What number is that? <laughs> yeah, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he had evening prayers where children were catechized. Kete- how do you say that word? Catechized. And instruct- what, is, what is catechization? Andrea, you want to tell us? Learning the Bible and basically it's for children and teaching kids what the Bible says. So he, he did that. Um, he number in six o'clock, is that where we are? Five to six, he had a private prayer. Again, he prayed for an hour. At six to seven, he read in a cabin to two or three passengers. At seven, he joined the Moravians in a public service. At 8, he met again to exhort and instruct one another with his group. And at 9 to 10, he went to bed. Now, he did this every day. Isn't that something? Whew. I don't know anybody that does that every day. And this man was not filled with the Spirit. He was just very, very, very disciplined. They had a storm on the ship. He says of himself, Wesley says of himself, how is it that I have no faith being still one? unwilling to die. So the Moravians were are in a circle singing in the storm, praising God. And John Wesley was huddled in a corner, <laughs> scared to death. <laughs> so he saw something different there. Okay, he got to Georgia. Now it's not, there it is. Now this is there's some I'm going to have to read you there. One of them, a German pastor said the following about Wesley's Plea for advice. So Wesley gets to George and he says, how do I do this? My brother, I must first ask you one or two questions. Have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Wesley, Wesley was surprised and knew not what to answer. The man observed it and he said, do you know Jesus Christ? I paused and said, I don't know. what. He, I know that he's the Savior of the world. True, he replied, but do you know he has saved you? Wesley answered, I hope he has died to save me. That's, I lost it. True, he replied, do not know, do you not know he has saved you? Wesley answered, I hope he has died to save me. The man answered, do you know yourself? Wesley, Wesley said, I do. Huh? Why is it blank? well it's not my fault (laughs) because my phone is right (laughs) where'd Daniel go (laughs) I think he went blank too (laughs) okay all right so he got to it and, and Wesley said I do but Wesley Feared they were in, they were vain words. In other words, he says, "I'm a Christian. I do have the witness of Jesus Christ." But he felt like those were vain words. He went to America to convert the Indians, but he said, "Oh, but oh, who will convert me?" 
something happened there. There he is. Wesley visits the heathen. Now, the heathen, in Wesley's mind, was the Indian. And this is his, okay, here, state of mind. He went to America to convert the Indians, but he said, but oh, who will convert me? So he realized something was wrong. <laughs> I like what the Indian chief said. Wesley said, stayed in America for two years and four months. The Indian chief or the chief wouldn't hear him preach but once. Now, one thing Wesley used to say in his diary, he preached three hours. And it, he only liked it when they started squirming. <laughs> you thought you were long. <laughs> Most of the, I mean, one hour and a half, I've been through messages in about an hour and a half, and that's a long time. Preaching three hours. So the Indian chief said this. The chief won't hear him preach again. Wesley feels that he has preached. No, wait a minute. I didn't. What do you mean? Go backwards? I had it right, didn't I? <laughs> Wesley stays in America for two years and four months. We read that. The chief wouldn't hear him preach again. Wesley feels that he has preached, and he preaches for three hours, and people start to squirm. The preaching will have a positive result. The chief and his people never heard Wesley preach but once. So he goes to America to win the Indians, and he, they wouldn't let him preach to him. Well, he snuck back to England. <laughs> he snuck. He felt like a failure. I, who went to America to convert others, never myself was converted to God. This is John Wesley now. <laughs> West, all right, Wesley's ministry. I don't want to do the conversion thing. Here it is. Okay, I do, I do want to do the conversion. He felt that he must cease preaching, but a Moravian named Peter Boiler invited Wesley to a service in which they were reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. I have never read that. Has anybody read Ever read that? Martin Luther uh, changed the, changed, it was a revolutionary start. Prefaced, while, while the leader was reading, Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed. Now, I think it was the Holy Spirit that came in. <laughs> this disciplined, awesome man, the Holy Spirit saw that, but he, knew, he took him through this process to get there. I like what... Uh, it was said this weekend, what's Abner? Yeah, Abner said this weekend about, about the things he's been through. Jesus suffered, and that's what made him good, right? What's the Bible say? He learned obedience by the suffering he felt. So this suffering is not something that you won't do. All right, from this point on, at the age of 35, he viewed his mission in life as one of proclaiming the good news of salvation by faith, which he did whenever a pulpit was offered to him. You know, it's hard at this time that not many people offered him a pulpit. <laughs> the congregation of the Church of England was so soon closed their doors to him because of his enthusiasm. Yeah, they, they did not like his enthusiasm. He went to religious societies trying to inject new spiritual vigor into them, particularly by introducing new bands similar to those of the Moravians. Small, in other words, small groups with each society that were confined to members of the same sex and marital status. 
who were prepared to shake or to share intimate secrets with each other and to receive mutual rebukes. For such groups, Wesley drew the rules of the society. Now, this is um, pre a preface to what we have today, small groups, right? Wesley realized that small groups were awesome, that he needed to do them. All right, now this is a longer one. Let me, let me get for um, a year. He worked through existing church societies, but resistance to his methods increased. In 1739, George Whitfield, does anybody ever heard of him? I've heard of him. He was a member of the club, too. George Whitfield and Wesley were both on the same holy club. <laughs> Isn't that something? Who later became a preacher of the evangelical revival in Great Britain and North America, persuaded Wesley to go to the unchurched masses. Wesley gathered converts into societies for continued fellowship and spiritual growth. He was asked by a London group to become their leader, and soon other groups followed. Other, other groups were formed in London, Bristol, and elsewhere. To avoid the, the scandal of unruly or unworthy members, Wesley published in 1743 Rules of the Methodist Societies. That's where the Methodist Church started, is uh, when Wesley started publishing. Wesley also compelled was compelled to seek the services of dedicated laymen who also became itinerant preachers and helped administer the Methodist societies. So Wesley was an Anglican, but he spoke like a Methodist. <laughs> so I don't know if you, uh, what do you all think of the Methodist church that uh, they started out really awesome. Okay, Wesley's ministry. Many of the uh, Wesley preachers had gone to America to the colonies, but after the American Revolution, most returned to England because of the Bishop of London would not obtain some of his preachers, ordain some of his preachers to serve in the United States. Wesley took it upon himself to do so in 1784. In the same year, he pointed out the society operated independently of control of Church of England. Toward the end of his life, he became honored and honored figure in the British Isles. Now, let's talk about George Whitfield. George Whitfield, he was, he was almost, I would say, as anointed as Wesley. George Whitfield is a very famous preacher in his day, and uh, he was an awesome guy. Wesley is asked by Whitfield to come to Bristol to preach in the fields. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Anglican churches. They're not, they're very structured. They're, I mean, they're very pretty, and, and uh, you can, you've seen some of the pictures of the old churches in England. And I think we went to we went to England. We saw those synagogues and churches, and they're very, very, very strict about what happens <laughs> and what you do when you stand up, when you sit down. It's uh, really, uh, but Wesley didn't do that. <laughs> churches could not hold those who came to his meetings. This was the way the churches tried to punish Wesley for his teaching. It turned out to be a blessing because thousands would come to his meetings and no church could hold him. He would have sometimes 20,000 people in his field <laughs> and preach to without a microphone. Now, I, you guys like this microphone, right? Can you imagine 20,000 people out there and everybody has to hear it? And, and Wesley didn't, didn't uh, talk loud. Now, what happened? It must be God. <laughs> Back in those days, uh, Mariah Woodworth Eder, who we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, she couldn't, she just talked very low. 
but the voice carried, and the person in, in, in that audience could hear. So the crowds came, and the, and the actual restriction, he, the, the Anglican church would not let him preach in the church because he was too, too exuberant. That's a good word. <laughs> so the Anglican church wouldn't allow him. Uh, crowds came to hear him, though. What did they say about Wesley about trees? Don't sit in the trees. Why? Because the Holy Ghost might knock you down. <laughs> and if you're in a tree, it might cause a problem. All right, Wesley and Whit Whitfield, we'll talk about them. They were two, uh, two guys about the same age at the same time uh, with, with great anointing in both of them. They talked about the outward signs that often accompany the inward work of God. Whitfield thought that it shouldn't happen. But that night, Whitfield preached and four fell down and were saved. So Whitfield was doing things that made people fall out. But Wesley didn't like it. That's not proper. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> and then it happened. <laughs> Can't be God. <laughs> so, but they, they had a, they had a, going, they had a, Whitfield was a member of the Holy Club. Wesley and, and Whitfield experienced a disagreement about predestination. Now, we have that same thing going on today. Some believe in it. Some don't. I think most don't now. Does any, can anybody describe what predestination is? All right, Tom, I know you can do it. Yeah, it's just God has his, and, and they use the Bible to prove this. The Bible says only the elect will be saved or something like that. Yeah, so they had the disagreement. Now, we read something else about this. It's not on your slides, but their disagreement lasted 10 years. They wouldn't talk. They wouldn't write each other. Uh, they wouldn't talk about each other. And for 10 years, they were separate. So one conference, they were together again. People had, had hired them to speak, and they, and they made up. And Wesley said, why can't we agree to disagree? Have you ever heard that term? I've heard people say bad things about that term. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. So some people think you shouldn't do it. But they did it, and... And uh, when Whitfield died at 55 years old, Wesley did his funeral at Whitfield's uh, request. I listened to that the other day on the uh, YouTube. If you ever want to get anything about these guys, just, just listen to them on YouTube. Okay, these are easy now. Wesley rides 2,400 miles in seven months. Now, that doesn't sound like much today, does it? On a horseback. He... What, is, what was his horse called? Traveler? Tired. <laughs> he probably wore out a bunch of horses. <laughs> you know, what in, intrigued me was he, he read Voltaire. Some of the scripture he read while he was on the horseback, he would read these books. Classical books. He, he knew the Bible, front and back. So he read these. I mean, it's amazing how he did that. All right, the fruit of his, he traveled 250,000 miles in his, his life. 70,000 were saved. 
thousand sermons preached, nineteen missionaries, and in Britain, two hundred ninety-four preachers, seventy-one thousand members. In America, one hundred ninety-eight preachers and forty-three thousand members. Methodist Church today, thirty million. One man. God says, you're it. And he was certainly a disciplined man. And so that man changed. The, changed the, I don't know what you think of the Methodist church. I've been a Methodist before, but. <laughs> Has anybody else been a Methodist? I, okay. So you, some churches are, are more. <laughs> you've been a Baptist too now. You weren't an Anabaptist. Okay. <laughs> So uh, he preached until he's 87. He had so many invitations, he could not make them all. He, he ended very well. <laughs> he was funny. Wesley became the father of Methodism. Holy Club. Okay. Oh yeah, he did. He did deliverances. One time he was, I read something. He was a, how far was he? He was about a mile away. He was a mile away from the woman he was supposed to pray for, who, who was demonized. She was chained. She was so bad, and she said, "Wesley's coming, and he's riding." A mile away, she knew he was coming. <laughs> And uh, she was delivered, and it was very difficult to deliver. But he, he was one of the first people that did deliverances. I tell you what, he knew that uh, that they were they were in need, and and, and nothing else. I I was uh, thinking this brings to mind uh, what's his name, George, um, what's the guy that does all the men. Uh, my brain's going out. Let me see. <laughs> Uh, Jesus' name is not okay. Uh, the guy that did the, uh, West, the, 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 he wrote a book about it about deliverances. What's the most famous man? Derek Prince. Okay, he was he was uh, in another church, and uh, one of his members, one of his couples that that were in the church, he liked the man, but the woman was quote crazy. She would have bouts where she would go crazy, and and so they put her on medication. And um, then they moved away. For two years, they were away. So he went to visit them. They they were close friends, and they did a lot of socially together. And he he took the guy aside and he said, "How's your wife doing?" He knew she. He said, "Man, she's not had anything for two years. Nothing, nothing. She's just been okay." So. He went back home, and about a month later, she dove off headfirst into the basement thinking it was water. And she died. And he, that's what started him into the ministry of deliverances. He, he found out there was something wrong with her, that Jesus Christ can heal. <laughs> it, no, it wasn't his wife. His, it was his, it was his members. His former members. So if you want to read that, you can go back and, and look under Derek Prince. And yeah. 
Yeah, he was one of the first ones that did deliverances. I don't want to blow our horn too much, but we do that, and there, people come all the way from California to our church because we do deliverances. I've been a, I've been a, a member of many churches, and we've never had deliverance, never. My mother, who was for 50 years, was a member of our Nazarene church, a very good Christian woman. I told her about deliverance, and she said, you keep the demons away from me, I'll stay away from you. That's what she said. And that, I would say that's what the church believes. We can't do anything about that. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> I thought this would take an hour and a half, but it's, well, maybe, maybe I should have messed up a little more. <laughs> well, let's stand up. We'll just be quick. You want to worship? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence tonight. I pray, Lord Jesus, that some of this that we talked about would, would encourage us that we would try ourselves to be a man like John Wesley, who was disciplined and, and, and ready to do your will in his life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for touching him. Thanks for touching us. And be with us tonight and help us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a couple of couple of thoughts on when I that you can go online and you can actually get uh, Wesley's um, journals and there are actual uh, testimonies in the Old English of him doing deliverances on folks and they he was one of the first preachers who got into doing actual deliverances and so um, but the Methodism the raise the, the way they got their name was he actually developed a model methods against Satan. And would do deliverances, and that's where Methodism came in. So it was the formation of a denomination. It was actually a break from the uh, the uh, Anglican Church of England. But that account of the Moravians is an interesting one if you read it. Um, can you imagine being a preacher so methodical, all that you're doing, reading the Scripture? He's not saved. And the fear that he had in the account of the, the, the ship, they thought the ship was going to sink. And the Moravians are so full of the Holy Ghost, they're just worshiping God. And he goes, I'm afraid I'm going to die. They're not afraid. And that started the journey of there's got to be more. And so um, it was sad about his wife. His wife was actually, um, she must have been demonized. I don't know why he didn't do deliverance on her. But, you know, but anyway, because she actually tried to turn people against him, writing letters and, and, and all of that's against his ministry. But the, the, the debate between uh, Wesley and um, Whitfield the, the, the whole today, even the Calvinists, are those who believe that you have no choice in the matter. God knows. Well, God knows everything. So he knows who's going to be saved. But do you have any free will? And this is the debate that's gone on for, for centuries, actually. Do you have any ability in your free will to make a choice? Of course, we know that, right? You read, you know, the book of Romans and um, you have a choice to say yes to Christ or not. And uh, now God knows who's going to be in the kingdom and who's not. So that's the battle that, that between the, the Calvinists and, the, and those that are believing the free will side of it. And so when, when we study the generals, the application of this is when you look at discipline, is there a discipline side of the walk with Christ? And if you're disciplined in your behaviors, in other words, the things that you will not allow yourself to entertain, 
whether it's your thought lives, the walk you're in, um, reading the scriptures, not reading the scriptures, what there's a consequence. When Galatians says it in, in chapter 6. He says, uh, Paul writes in Galatians, God will not be mocked. When a man and a woman sows, you shall also reap. And so, so there's part of that discipline side of the walk with Christ that if you pull away from those disciplines, you can get, and we see it. Unfortunately, we see it where people, they just get wrapped up in work. They get wrapped up in family, and pretty soon they pull away. And then you wonder, how far did I fall here, right? And so staying on those disciplines, it's the, the, what I would call the sweat equity side of Christianity. You, you know, it's those who will invest their time to spend. And, and, I, and I loved what we heard this weekend from, from Abner and from Paul from Metcalf, that um, there's that, that journey and staying in. He listed, I don't know how many hundreds of things Friday night on the thoughts that we have that are belief systems that will will destroy your faith or destroy your walk. They're what we believe. But they're so subtle. Um, you know, we see it often when we do our prayer ministries. When people tell their story to us, and, you know, we start the first, um, this first part of our sessions, which average six and a half hours generally now. Um, the first part of it is tell me your story. Tell us your story. And as you said, and we focus on the bad and the ugly because we know there's good, bad, and ugly in life. But it's in the bad and ugly parts of life that in the formation of that experience, we take away from that belief systems. Those belief systems get twisted or partially true. Um, but as long as you believe in Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a person believes in their heart, so it is, right? Whether it's true or false. So if you believe, I was recently doing a prayer ministry, I won't uncover but this person definitely had a spirit of rejection, and you could it had it was shipwrecking a lot of relationships because if you believe you're going to be rejected, so we spent close to four hours unpacking this person's life. Take me back to your childhood. Tell me the story of where you think some of these because it was on her forgiveness list. Children in grade school, in seventh grade, very specific things on the bus. The one who said this, the humiliation that occurred here. And you could track, and you, and pretty soon you could see it. Then there was the rejection from the parents. And so pretty soon she, this person saw it herself. She said, you're really battling a, a struggle in rejection. And you believe you're going to be rejected. Now let's look at some of your current relationships where you're upsetting the apple cart in your family and in people and in relationships with in-laws and and outlaws and all, it's like you you believe you're going to be rejected. Yeah. And the ruminating thoughts. Now, the sisters that run with a spirit of rejection, low self-esteem, fear of failure, um, um, uh, escapism. The, at one point, this person it was suicidal. Got so bad that, you know, in the rejection and the darkness of that went into a dark place. And, and so... The point of all that is, as we're now progressing, you know, we're going to study these generals, and you're going to see their lives were not always, I love it, that, you know, can you imagine being a preacher on a mission field and you're not even saved? But he orchestrates the storms of life to get you to, and, and see the Moravians and say, I need help, <laughs> you know. So if you pull together what we heard this weekend and, and what we know, pay attention to belief systems that are orchestrating events. The, the Lord will, remember he said in Philippians 1, 6, 
um, he will perform the work in you until the day he comes. So he's working, you know. Even when I don't see him working, he's working. He's a miracle worker, right? Great song. So, but what do we do with that? You can experience some of the tensions at work, struggles over your finances, anxieties, fears. Pay attention to those. Don't just blow them off or cope with it, right? Pay it. What, what is it? Um, I love what Bill Johnson says. He says he takes these spiritual timeouts. I, I, my time with him before he became so famous was, you know, he's so pulled apart now. But we, I remember sitting in a coffee shop in Brazil with him, and he was sharing how in his early parts when he was in a small church in uh, Weaverville uh, in California, he would preach his sermons, and then he would have these blue Mondays of just, did I really say that? I should have said it differently. And he would get into these dark moments. He had really dark moments. And so the way he coped with it, which was real helpful, he's preached these messages now, learning to encourage yourself in the Lord like David did when he was rejected by his, by his mighty men, and they wanted to kill him after the burning of Ziklag, and they took the wives and children. And they said, well, even his mighty men, the guys who stood in the bean fields and could kill 400, they said, well, let's stone him. Let's stone David. Wow. And David says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He says, let's, Lord, should we go get our kids back? Yes, go get them. And so in that encouraging himself in the Lord, what Bill would do, he would tell Benny, I'm going to the church. He would drive to Weaverville, lock himself in the church Sunday night, turn on the worship music, take out the scriptures, and then lay out prophetic words that have not been fulfilled in his life yet, the ones that had been partially fulfilled. He'd lay them out, and he would worship. He says, dark, depressed, scary thoughts. And he would walk back and forth and said, Lord, your word said you're going to do this in me. God, I praise you. And he said sometimes he would worship many, many, many hours until the spirit broke. Now, that was before Sozo and all this. And he was part of the Assemblies Church, Assemblies of God. But again, if you're not in a church that is engaging spiritual darkness or you're not trained to, to do what 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says is, the weapons we fight with are not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive. I was just ministering recently. Um, think of it this way, that the Holy Spirit is the filter. He's the spirit of truth, right? So think of your thought process as the dirty water, right, that needs to be run through either a carbon filter, a reverse osmosis system, um, a mechanical filter. You got to get the debris and the chemical debris out of this mess so that it's suitable for you to drink, right? And so the Holy Spirit is the filtration system. He's the spirit of truth. So the thought comes in and says, I believe I'm going to be rejected, or I'm so anxious I'm going to fail, or I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to pay the bills. Whatever, pay attention, right? Because in Hebrews 5.14, it says, the mature believers have trained their senses to discern good and evil. And so one of the things Abner said this weekend, which I thought was very powerful, it's one of my elevator speech this morning, is he spoke of uh, sensory revelation. In your senses, your sight, your hearing. So I am like so anxious and fearful right now. I don't know if I can pay the bills. I don't know if I'm going to please my boss. I, uh, <clears throat> What's at the root of that? Rejection, fear of failure. God's not good enough. I can't make it. I don't have what it takes. 
Lie, 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 lie. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He gives me everything I need. He's my Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider, right? So what do you do with that? You run that through the filter of the Holy Spirit. But the only way you get there is first through your sensory revelation. What's going on in your sense, man, right? You walk into um, a homosexual shop downtown, and now there'll be triggers. The person behind the might have a voice that's a little different. You you see all the you know stuff, and he's like, okay. And so you're real, okay, I know what I'm up against right now, right? So what do you do with it? You you pray, and you ask the Lord to give you wisdom. What, how do you relate? Okay, so pay attention to the revelatory knowledge that's coming through your sense man. That's Hebrews 5.14. King James says it this way. The mature believers, through reason of use, have trained themselves to discern good and evil. Okay, so pay it. But that's not the best sense. That's not the best revelatory place. Part two of this is you belong to God. And if you lack wisdom, he says in Philippians 1.6, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, right? Don't be double-minded, however. We, sometimes we decide we're going to do our worldliness and we want God to bless it. And we think it's godly. That's, that's double-mindedness, right? In your own, you know, lusts and passions, you want this thing and God bless it, bless it. And then you wonder, well, that probably wasn't God, right? He, he teaches it. Okay, so in, in the revelatory side of it, asking God, God, is this your plan, your best will? What, what Abner said I thought was powerful was we often make our plans and ask God to bless it, and then we wonder why. But if you get God's plan, it's already blessed, right? And so, Lord, I want to, I was talking recently, it was Tiffany and I were talking, and it's like asking God to lay out your day and to walk your plan, to walk his plan. Then when the day comes, and it might be a little different than you thought, if there's the wrinkle, it's the whatever, the fender bender bumper, and like, God, I gave this day to you, so you got a plan here, right? So having sensory revelation through this, that, that's good. I'm paying attention to how I'm feeling, but what do I do with my feelings? Not all feelings are rooted in God. If I'm operating in a spirit of rejection, that I believe in my, in my belief system, it's just a matter of time when those people are going to find out that I don't have what it takes. I will be rejected. I project that in my belief system. I actually look for the people who are going to reject me. And then I validate it. And then I wonder why my life is crashing and burning. And so, but if we're paying attention to, God, you, you're not going to reject me. You're not going to, I'm going to, even if I fail, you're going to, you tell me I work all things together for good for those who love me. And so you counter that, that's that spirit of belief that's wrong. And then pay attention to what is going on. I want to ask God, what do I do with this? When we get his mind and his heart on this, mm, and we've got both avenues of being led by the spirit, right? Galatians 5 says, if you are led by the spirit, you will produce all this kind of fruit. But if you are led by the flesh and your fleshly motives and your fleshly beliefs and your sensory perception, feels good, do it in the world, right? No, not a good idea, right? Then you will produce all these kind of evils. And you, you look at it, there is an, I don't think there's any unevil on that list. And so let's, um, I think what the Lord's inviting us into is a mature group of believers who are going to grow 
in this walk. And we do it in our day-to-day interactions and asking the Holy Spirit, uh, when the thought comes in, I'm going to run it through the Holy Spirit. And if it's not God and it doesn't line up with the Word, then I counter that and I walk on. Right? How many of you are doing that every day? Come on. Do it. Man, I, man, I, I, we gotta, th- this is spiritual warfare. This is how, one, we get healthy and we don't miss the opportunities that he's creating around us, right, to be able to become the mature believers. You read that, uh, Hebrews 5, the mature believers, they're the ones who have trained themselves, have by reason of use, right? So don't miss the daily opportunities. God's giving you all these mature opportunities. This person who just like, what is that all about, God? Renee. I just all of a sudden started feeling, I don't know, I just couldn't hardly explain it bad. And and I'm like, what is going on here? And I mean, I just, I, I, you know, and then I called somebody and was talking to them. And they said, well, if you go seek the Lord, they, God will show you what it is. And I kind of know what it is. Like you say, thoughts and, and different things. And I went and just laid across the bed and just was asking God because I hadn't felt like this in a long time. And I just thank God for that. You said that Hebrews 5.14. I'm going to study that because I, it's just like something just came to irritate me, to bother me, and I just couldn't shake it. And, um, and I'm still kind of trying to get through that, so that I'm just about to cry. I just thank you for being led by the Lord to just share this about, you know, discerning and getting help. God bless you. Here, here's another um, principle you probably know already, but... We know that um, all things come from the spirit world. Everything that was created by the spirit world, right? Therefore, if you get in a pattern of thought that becomes so familiar, it's called a familiar spirit. I was recently talking to someone about this, that that familiar spirit seems so familiar to you, you believe it's yours. And that can be a generational thing. You look at families that run through this, right? I believe Peter addresses this, but I believe there are four realms or four origins of where thoughts come from. And so in this process of running everything through the filter, we want the spirit of truth. Because if you get the Holy Spirit truth, he's the one who sets you free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? So one realm is the Holy Spirit. It's the God realm. It's where the thought of goodness and mercy, and, and it's the one who says you're the most awesome. He says you're a masterpiece, right? Right? We think, well, no, how, that's got to be pride. Rebuke that in Satan in Jesus' name because I'm so smart and so beautiful and so handsome and so strong. His thoughts about me are as big as the sand. I'm all his. You know, yeah, you can get on the wrong side of that, but most people don't, right? <clears throat> so, but we might shut that down with, that's, that can't be. You might walk around too happy all day. All right. So that realm is is the Holy Spirit. The second realm, let's go to the other, is the demonic. You're a loser. You're never going to amount to anything. You're so ugly, no one would ever think. You're not tall enough. You're not smart enough. You're, anyway, I won't go there. You know what I'm saying, right? It's the critical side of that I don't measure up. And we get there by all the interactions of 
bullying, methods that maybe be spoken over us as children. You never, you're not smart enough. Your teacher gives you this grade. You're in the, you're in the low reading group. You're in the low performance group. Um, and those belief systems stay with us, right? And so the demon runs on that one. He sits over here and says, you're this and you're that. And, and we're not, he, he's subtle. So it's like that thought comes up that says, I'm, I should be sad. Life's not going well. I'm lonely. I'm sad. And you, you ruminate on that, and the devil kind of helps you with it, right? And so that's a realm. Well, I don't want that. So you've got to counter that one with Scripture. devil's a liar. When, when Jesus got the revelation from Peter, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. My father showed you that, Peter. The next paragraph Jesus says, well, now that you know that, I want you to know I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me, and I'm going to be buried for three days. And, and Jesus, Paul t- Peter takes him and says, Lord, that can't happen to you. You can't be going there. You know. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. You're speaking out of your human desire, of your love for me, not to see me suffer, or your belief system that I'm going to overthrow Rome, whatever it was, and we're going to be... You're, you're speaking out of demonic realms right now, and I will not listen to that because you will deter me on my destiny. Get behind me. So that's a demonic realm that's spoken. Now, the third realm is the world. Who's the god of the world? Satan, right? Homosexuality's fine. Live with your boyfriend. You don't have to you know, do what you want. Do what you feel. Yeah, great. That's wonderful. And the world is just filled with the god of this world's junk. And so... If you don't know spiritual things, you'll turn on and think, well, that's the way it is, the law of the land. I can go kill my baby. I can go sleep around. I don't have to worry about it. And guess what? That realm from the world, he tells you, if you're a partner with the world, watch out. You will be lost. You cannot be a friend of the world and be in Christ. There's enmity. They are enemies. And that realm of thought that comes from the worldliness is another realm. And then the, the, the fourth one, which is probably the most difficult in the discernment, is you've been created in Christ's image. You have creativities. You have personalities. You're, make, you're made unique. You are this living stone in First Peter chapter 2, right, who's building into the temple of God. And so your heart, you're crea- you are created in Christ's image, right? So your heart is created. But Old Testament says, be careful. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? But then he says, but there's a day coming when I will write my spirit on their heart, and they won't even have to study. They'll just know. That's the journey we're on. God, take the stones out and put that flesh in here, Lord, that my heart is your heart, right? But when that thought origins out of here, it's like, okay, so what realm is this? Is this my broken heart? Is this the world? Is this the demon? Or is this you, Christ, the Holy Spirit? I need to know because in that, I can then fight this war that Paul says, take every thought captive, pull it down unto Christ, that the weapons you're going to fight with here, they're not carnal. You can't, you can't win this battle of transformation without the Holy Spirit of the willing person who says, teach me. Right? So this is the spiritual war. And I believe the Lord is raising a group of people up that are going to, they're going to walk in this. They want to be trained. They want to be mature. We realize we are imperfect beings. We got, but I, I just love the transparency that Abner shared where he said, I wanted to quit my job. <laughs> this guy was so mean when he said, I even thought about being postal, going in and shooting up the place. I'm like, 
wow, that's getting real transparent. I don't know that I've ever been that angry, but he was. And he goes to one pastor and says, I think you're supposed to stay in a job. Ah, get behind me, devil. That's not, can't be devil. That guy can't be God. Goes to three different wise counselors. They tell him the same thing. So he stays in it. And in the process of that, because there'll be those who say, if it's not easy, then it, God's not in it. Where is that? Would you show me that in the scriptures, please? Yes, there's the favor of God. All the key generals, they went through some stuff, right? In the Old Testament, New Testament. So, so are you willing to go there? That's always the question. Will you go with me? It's kind of like the journey. So let's pray and let's uh, bless the Lord. Any questions, any comments there? Yeah. Um, I believe Pastor Cherry mentioned that how discipline was at the Episcopal Church. Yes. Very structured. Isn't the Roman Catholic Church the same way? In fact, they're, they're, they are offshoots. The Roman Catholic and the Episcopal Church, uh, and some of it in the Lutheran Church as well, right? Uh, offshoots of that. It's very disciplined. So, come on. I, I just noticed when Pastor Terry was talking about Wesley, um, he said that they had holy clubs. So that's something that I'd like to find out more about. And the other thing was he said he examined himself to see if he was in Christ. So that's something I'd like to learn. He was examining himself. See if you're in Christ. And, you know, again, what, what, what the example there is um, there's no fear, right? God hasn't given me a spirit of fear but power and love. Now, I don't know about you. If you've ever been in a life-threatening event, right? I've shared this. When I was in the Merchant Marine qualifying in my, um, for licensing there, I was in a storm in the North Atlantic on a, a, a transport ship, a World War II transport ship. And it was only, it could only do 10 knots. It, it was old boilers. It was left, it carried troops in World War II to Europe. We got it as a really good deal in our, um, at our school in, in the Bronx, State University Maritime College. And uh, it was a great ship to learn on because nothing worked. So everything was manual. So you could have the cadets learn on feed station, boilers, electric. So everything was broken. So it was, it was really great. Well, our sonar system didn't work very well either. And it was before a lot of the current systems that you have now on weather protect. And we got stuck in a North Atlantic storm as we were coming from Europe over towards um, uh, Canada area. And we were trying to outrun the storm and we didn't outrun the storm. So now we're in a nor'easter, you know, 100 mile. The, if you've ever been in that situation, now I'm a cadet on my first cruise, right? And no one's allowed on deck. When the captain and the XO of the ship and the navigator have all been relieved because they're so sick, and you got a third junior officer running the ship trying to keep way on the ship so you don't founder and you don't turn over and drown. And so... And when you look out the back t fan tail of the ship and the waves are so high, you look up the porthole, everything's locked down. And the porthole, so you look up there and you see the wave and then the ship comes out and, and the propeller cavitates. And then it comes down. And you try to walk down the, the galleyway and you're going boom and boom. And the whole ship smells like vomit, right? And they said, anyone who's not sick, come to the watch station. Well, I didn't get sick. My roommate, he said, just kill me. I, I, he's, he's in the throne. Wah! He doesn't care if we sink or die. Just kill me. 
and I'm, and I'm not sick. I put bread, I pray. I don't know if I prayed. I did pray later. Uh, I wasn't even a Christian, but anyway, I, I, I say I wasn't born again. I wasn't on fire. Mom always argues with me. But anyway, um, so I go on watch. I'm the boiler watch operator. And in the boiler, you're trying to keep water in the boiler so you keep the, the tubes of the boiler covered so you can generate steam to make propulsion to keep the propeller running. Because if we stop the propeller and the engine room stops, we die. That's how it is. And I'm like, I got my engineering office. Sir, I can't even, the water's going up and it's going out of sight. And then he goes, just do the best you can, son. Just do the best you can. I'm like, okay. There were no atheists left on that ship. I'm telling you what. And so there's the Wesley experience. Why are the Moravians not afraid to die? And I'm afraid to die. And yet I have supposedly the same faith. No, you don't. Right? You're not baptized in the Holy Ghost. And so, so there's, pay attention to life experiences. There's this thing that God will use them to train us, to equip us, to show us our failures, our faults, our doubts, our unbelief. So any other questions, comments? As a Methodist, I was in a church where the pastor was so hungry more. And during the 70s and the early 80s, we had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit all over the country, everywhere. And my pastor, I was a believer since age eight. But when this lay witness mission people came and were telling about uh, checks would arrive in the mailbox and all these things of supernatural, I said, God, I was a believer but I want what they want, what they have. And it was right after that that I received. <laughs> yeah, and it's unfortunate. Um, I've done prayer ministries on Methodist pastors now because the division has come in, the, the ordaining of homosexuals is happening in the Episcopal Church. It's gone. So th there is a dividing line right now, and many of these churches are splitting. You have uh, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, Whereas the uh, Presbyterian USA has gone totally liberal, they are boycotting Israel. They're, 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 you know, so the Lord is dropping the plumb line, right? You're going to be happy about Sunday, Mom. Anyway, <laughs> don't miss service Sunday, Mom. <laughs> All right. Any other comments, questions? All right. Let's let's pray. Well, thank you, Terry, for sharing. God, we just, uh, we know that there's so much, you, there's infinite opportunities, knowledge, that you just want to, you just want to grow us up, and we just need to be willing students. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, and so you are the one, and so I, I just pray for dreams and vision, a tuning of um, our spirit man to, to, to mine the gold out of all of the experiences that are coming. That we won't miss it. Uh, you'll, you'll. We, we want to be taught, and so, God, I thank you that because uh, there's a time coming where people will not listen to sound doctrine, right? And we know that it looks like it's upon us here in many aspects of, of our society. So, Lord, we thank you, Father, for your blessing, and I pray a blessing on each one that's here tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, God bless y'all. Thank you for coming.